and welcome back for this week's episode of the Remarkable Parks podcast. This week we have a traveler fresh off the trails and a longtime favorite here at Remarkable Parks podcast. Welcome back, Ed. Hey, everybody. Great to be back. You just went on what I would describe as the excursion of a lifetime, and you just got back yesterday. That's right, and it was an amazing trip. I'm going to highly recommend Alaska to any of your listeners out there. It's just a beautiful, beautiful state. And you were there for about two weeks. We were there for 11 days, and we went, uh, flew into Anchorage, went up to Denali, and then uh, headed south down to the Seward area, over to Homer, and then circled back up to the Anchorage area, which just in itself amazing for a city that there's just so much beauty and wildlife just in the suburbs. It seemed to me we were getting, uh, the children of the parents were getting WhatsApp updates and every single photo you sent was just awe-striking beauty. It, it doesn't even look real. I got accused by a couple of my friends to uh, stop sending pictures of postcards. <laughs> so that, <laughs> that's how uh, beautiful and awe-inspiring it is. I mean, uh, you don't have to be an excellent photographer to uh, make the scenery look good there. And you also seem to stay very busy. Uh, one of my favorite photo updates that I got was a picture of you and some sled dogs. Yeah, I mean, one of the lodges that we stayed at, it was called Ursong Lodge, and it was uh, in the Healy area, which is just north of Denali. Um, they actually have working sled dogs as well as cabins, and uh, they are the only licensed vendor outside of the national park. So Denali National Park also has a team of sled dogs, and there's Whoa. one now. Nala's I got a sled dog. Nala's got something to say about that. <laughs> Nala, Nala, don't you know uh, that I'm trying to record a podcast right now? So right. they, and actually some of the dogs are related. So of course your mom loved that. We got to go in and personally meet the dogs. We got to meet the lady and her husband that trained the dogs. And so they were just getting ready to shut down the cabins that next weekend and start getting ready for their winter season, which uh, they said they're completely sold out. They, they're just that popular. Wow, I'm sure. Is there a certain amount of time that you would recommend people book in advance? For the dog sled or just in general? Just in general. Yeah, I think, you know, right now, I mean, there's, I think, Alaska is one of those places that it's so different season to season because obviously in the summer, you basically have 24 hours of daylight, and in the winter, you have basically 24 hours of darkness for a while. Even though they say the sun comes up, it just barely peaks the horizon. So if you're into winter sports or you want to see the northern lights, obviously wintertime is the best time to go. And it's really not that much colder than the northern U.S. I mean, it can get down to 30 below, but you know that's a rarity. And especially if you go to the southern Alaska, uh, it's going to be your typical, you know, high of the 20s, 30s, and lows, you know, in the teens or zero. You just know, like Southern California. Just like Southern <laughs> California. But no, I, I mean, right now rates are extremely cheap to fly up there. 
But, you know, I'm, I, I'm more of a planner. I like to do things, you know, what? six uh, months out. <laughs> I know, hard to believe. So I like to get my, at least get my airfare and then kind of map out a plan and do a little bit of research of how I want to attack the area. And uh, I got to say, I felt uh, pretty good about how things worked out on this trip. I do feel like once you do retire, I think you have a potential to be a travel agent just as a leisure. Oh, it'd be fun, you know, and uh, I just enjoy doing it. I do it for a lot of my friends, uh, you know, just to, to lay out a certain itinerary for them. Because once you've done it, you know, it's just so much easier uh, to, to go through and you kind of eliminate some of your mistakes. So if you can help somebody else and you want to share that beauty with everybody, so I'm, I'm glad to do it. I can already see your tagline. It's Ed Johnson, the next Rick Steves. <laughs> <laughs> Look out, Rick. I, I, I could only hope to be uh, that uh, you know knowledgeable about my traveling. Well, Rick surely is a regular listener here at Remarkable Park, so... <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, I think it's super cool what we are talking about today. Uh, we have talked about Denali National Park on this podcast before, and well, uh, that was incredible, and it's beautiful. I feel like the state parks in Alaska get overshadowed by the national parks in Alaska. So I am super excited to talk about the one you chose today, which is... Kachemak Bay State Park, which I did not know uh, until I was reading information and coming home that it was Alaska's first state park. And uh, it's over 400,000 acres large. So that was uh, a surprise to me. Not the size of it, but that it was the first state park in Alaska. Yes. Uh, I read that as well. <laughs> in my, I didn't get to go, yeah. but I did read that information as well. Uh, I was also surprised to see that it's also a state wilderness park uh, because it has like you said, 400,000 absolutely breathtaking acres of mountains, glaciers, forest, coastline, and ocean. Uh, just a little bit more than we see in the average state park. Yeah, I mean, again, and the only way to access it is by boat. So you actually have to jump on the uh, ferry, the water ferry, which we I would highly recommend. Uh, we used Mako. And they were super. I mean, it's a little intimidating. So imagine your mom saying, "Okay, we're going <laughs> to jump on a, <laughs> we're going to jump on a boat, and it's going to take us across the bay, and then it'll be back to pick us up in five hours." <laughs> yeah, if if I was to pick the first hundred thousand things, I think she would do. That would not be on the list. No, no. But no. she did so it. it was, but she did it, and we had a great time. They do boast being the most remote state park in the United States. Yeah, and, and again, it's, uh, there was a decent amount of people over there, but during the hike, we were the only ones. We never ran across anyone else. And uh, the cool thing is, uh, Kachemak Bay, it's one of the uh, biggest tide swings in the world. So literally, the tide can be 20 foot higher when you leave when you arrive. So when we took the ferry from the Homer Spit over to the, what they call the Glacier Spit, and it was your mom actually had to get on a 10-foot stepladder. They had a stepladder on the boat 
step onto the stepladder and walk down to the shore to oh get there. Oh, my goodness. It was, <laughs> it was incredible. And, and again, they dropped you off, uh, you know, probably about 400 yards away from where the trail started so you could enjoy the beach. Tons of starfish and just kind of a nice little tidal pool to explore before you got on the trail. Wow. Oh my, I just, I'm, I'm trying to imagine her. I know most people that listen to this podcast do not know my mom, but this is not in her wheelhouse, but she did it. <laughs> she did great. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the, the trail itself, and I, I know we're not quite ready to go there yet, but it was just uh, amazing. It was very well marked and it led to a glacial lake. Uh, you know, you actually right by the glacier and little icebergs floating in the it was just amazing we can go to trails we can hop around uh there it looks like to me there's several different paths you can take what was the trail that you uh you all did we we did the the most popular one in the area so you actually get dropped off on the beach and you walk to the trailhead for glacier lake trail which again super easy trail to walk we um all very wide, all very well marked. It starts out in a forest area, and uh, the, the kind of uh, fun, intimidating, exciting, however you want to say. There was a lot of bear scat <laughs> on the trail as we're walking, which, you know, I really didn't point out to your mom. Well, you all decided um, to go to Alaska in the heart of bear season. <laughs> exactly. We're right in the middle of the salmon run, so it just keeps you on your toes a little bit more. Okay. <laughs> so... So the glacier, you go on the Glacier Lake Trail, which is about uh, three and a half miles, you know, to get to the lake. But then when you come back, you actually split off and do another trail called the Saddle Trail. And that's like a, a nice little switchback. It's only about a mile long. So it's a shorter hike back, probably about half the distance or a third of the distance back. And the boat picks you up in what's called Halibut Cove. Um, which is a deep water cove, and it pulls up to a, a, a dock. But you don't want to get there too soon because there's absolutely nothing there but a dock. A gorgeous view, but uh, that's really about it. So the hike itself is rated easy for the Glacier Lake Trail, and the Saddle Trail is ranked moderate. But your mom would say it was difficult just because <laughs> it was kind of steep, muddy, narrow. And, uh, but but I, I think the moderate ranking is appropriate. I must say the one that really drew my attention was the Emerald Lake Loop Trail. Are you familiar with this one? I'm familiar with it, but we did not do it. This one is the big kahuna, if you will. It is the 12.6-mile loop, 2,800-foot elevation gain, only accessible by foot. And it's not the most popular, but it is the place where... You can actually see mountain goats and bears up on the high ridges, and it's accessible via the Emerald Lake. Um, and it's uh, the the trail climbs to Portlock Plateau, and it gives really great views of the whole state park. Yeah, and and that's I would say that even about the trail that we took. So the Glacier Lake Trail actually has about. 200 feet of elevation gain, but it's all very moderate. So you start off, like I said, in the woods, and then you go to this glacial moraine, which is, you know, where the glacier used to be, and it leaves a lot of sandy rocks and stuff, which is now all covered with aspen and birch trees. 
So a little bit more wide open. And uh, you just, again, it's about an hour and a half to two hour, you know, decent stroll hike to get there. But then when you turn the corner and you see this glacier, like maybe about a half a mile away, and you see little icebergs floating in the lake, it's just breathtaking. Does it just make you feel so small? Oh, absolutely. Because then you're still looking up at the mountains that you're surrounded by. And uh, again, just a great place. To, we took a lunch up there. And so we just found a nice little rock to lay on and just soak it all in. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah. And so and it was a beautiful day. And again, we were just blessed to hit the weather it's their rainy season in Alaska. The later you go in the year, the more rain that you get. So as you get into August and September, the rain tends to pick up. But we avoided it basically our whole trip except for one afternoon. That's amazing. It sounds like you all had a picture-perfect trip, and it was very tranquil. But being amongst the mountains and the glaciers, this state park has a history of some Pretty intense hazards. Uh, are you familiar with the glacier mega tsunami that happened in 1967? I am not familiar with that one. Why don't you tell me a little bit more? All right. So it's, and help me with the pronunciation here, the Greywick? The Grenwick. Grenwick. The Grenwick Glacier Mega Tsunami of 1967 a landslide triggered an estimated 100-foot wave that just scoured everything in its path within just a few minutes. And the landslide activity totally recreated the geography of the area. And so even though it hasn't happened in decades, it's just a caution to always be prepared when you go out hiking because you are in a very remote area and you are in a very wild area. And, and I lied. It, it is called the Gruink. I always uh, pronounce it. You know what? Glacier. You had me and probably just about every other person listening convinced. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I will say that it, obviously when you get to that part of Alaska, there's tsunami signs everywhere. Because uh, for those of you that are, uh, you know, aware of the geology, there are actually four active volcanoes that kind of surround that Homer area. And uh, obviously the big event was on Good Friday in, uh, I think it was March 27th of 1964. It was the second largest earthquake ever recorded at 9.2 on the Richter scale, and it lasted for four minutes. Holy so if you can imagine cow. the horror of living through something like that, but it changed the whole geography of that whole southern Kenai Peninsula, as well as up into Anchorage. Wow. I'm sure they thought the day of reckoning had come. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I would have been like, just, just take me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you just think going on a roller coaster gets you a little uh, upset yeah. on your stomach, uh, four, four minutes of uh, a 9.2 earthquake, holy, holy smokes. Yeah, wow. Oh, no, I didn't know about that. So I learned you something and you I. Yes. 
I was just reading, it's, it's cracking me up, uh, the things that you can do that they advertise, activities you can do in the park, and it's got some <laughs> traditional ones like backpacking and bird watching, camping, canoeing. But then <laughs> the further you read, it just gets more unique. It's like glacier traversing, clam digging, <laughs> whale watching, <laughs> like <laughs> scuba and diving. Do, yeah, and you can do it all right there, and the water is crystal clear. Some of the best uh, fishing waters in the world, and uh, yeah, there were still some humpback whales when we were there. A uh, lot of stellar sea lions, there's harbor seals, so I mean, you're going to see everything uh, that you can imagine in that area. We saw several moose. Uh, But yeah, you can do all that in Halibut Cove. And then the other cool thing is that, you know, camping is... Oh no, we were doing so good and you cut out. You were connected to me though, even if... You just, I just, I'm sorry, I, that was my fault. My screen uh, timed out. I forgot. <laughs> it's I okay. I forgot that part of the recording. You haven't been on in a while, but it's so funny that you were about to transition to camping because that's exactly where my brain was going to. So tell me about the camping. Yeah, so the camping, uh, no reservations required, and there's actually campsites at the lake. And uh, within the park, there's like 15 different campgrounds that you can go to. And even cooler is that there are cabins that you can reserve online. And I want to say there's five or six of them in that six. area. Six public-use cabins at Halibut Cove Lagoon, China Poot Lake, Moose Valley, and Tutka Bay are available Whoa, for rent. Oh, you did do your research. I, I try it. to. <laughs> and, and yurts are very popular in that part of Alaska, all of Alaska, really. So you, there's always uh, yurts that you can rent from private individuals in, within the park as well. Yes, contact the Homer Ranger Station. If you're interested in staying in a yurt, they can hold up to eight people, and they look super cool. Very cool for those of you that know what a yurt is. I got to tell you, uh, it's a word that I had definitely heard before, but had to look up some pictures to remind myself. Nice. Nice. The other thing that you kind of touched on before we were talking about the lodging opportunities was the wildlife there. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, not only is this a state park, but it's also a state wilderness park in part because it is a place where there are a ton of natural estuaries. So, um, yeah, the wildlife again, just amazing. And, and the, the good thing is it's not that you wouldn't run into a brown bear, but typically in this part of the state, they're mostly black bears. But if you cross the bay, that's where you see all the TV shows about grizzlies, and you can take bear tours flying in and watch them on the salmon. And uh, But mostly black bear within uh, Kachemak Bay. And it's super interesting because there's a lot of really unique water species there as well because you are where estuaries are. So you've got that intertidal zones of, of both saltwater and freshwater So you're going to be able to observe other animals too, like sea otters and harbor seals, porpoises, and kind of like you were talking about different whale species like the humpbacks. Um, On land, though, I have to ask, did you see a puffin? We did. Oh, yes! 
<laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, they're like one of my favorite animals, you know, and so you're just looking constantly. At first we saw one, we went over to the Seward Aquarium and Wildlife Center and, 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 and you know, it's great to be able to see one like that, but yeah, we actually got to see them there. And when we were on a glacier tour, they were just sitting on little ice icebergs floating around in oh. uh, Prince William Sound as well as on the cliffs. So, yeah, we, That's we awesome. they hadn't migrated yet. So that was awesome. No, as someone who I my profession is to work in a zoo, uh, I totally think almost anyone who works in a accredited zoo would tell you the best way to see the animals and to experience them if you're able is in their natural habitat and uh, we wish that very much for all of the animals but unfortunately in most places it's just not safe for those critically endangered animals but puffins yeah puffins all kinds of birds you know sandhills cranes are another species that fly through that area Uh, so those of our good listeners out in Nebraska will be very familiar with those uh, saw a ton of bald eagles. Obviously, when uh, the salmon are running, it's like a uh, feeding frenzy for them. Wow. Man, I, I'm, I just every picture you sent talking about this now is just making me want to pick up a bag and go, <laughs> go oh, to Alaska. Definitely recommend it. And again, it's one of those places that, you, you know, besides your airfare, you can do it relatively inexpensively. Um, you know, especially if you do have a car, but if you enjoy camping, you can pretty much, uh, camp anywhere. You know, there's, there are some restrictions, but for the most part, they don't mind you, uh, you know, just finding a pull off area and setting up a camp and going. I do feel like I have to give my podcast warning. Um, I'm just, as you're talking, I can't help but think of the book Into the Wild. And I know there's a, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's a lot of young people out there that want to experience nature. Uh, but one of the biggest cautions is many of the parts of this park and many of the parks in Alaska are undeveloped. And so you need to be prepared to handle emergencies by yourself There's lots of spots in the park that are without cell phone service, especially if you're doing backcountry camping. There's 85 miles of trails just within this state park. And if you don't have cell service and you can't dial 911, you need to have a backup plan. Uh, And you need to make sure you are bringing extra supplies with you, like water and food um, and maybe some bear spray, some, some other safety things to help stay warm as well. So do your research on that front. Don't just pick up your bags and go, even though that might sound Ab- fun. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and everybody will give you that same warning. And so we, you know, even though we knew we were getting picked up in five hours, you just don't know what's going to happen. So we actually did all of those things. So we took our life straw with us. We took bear spray. We took uh, a knife. You know, we had some extra supplies so, uh, you know, and a few provisions to make a lean-to if we had to. We had our, our fire, our waterproof matches. So, you know, I, I, was, I was prepared, you know. You just want to, as you say, be prepared because you are in the wilderness. And wherever we went, there were bear warnings everywhere. And so, you know, it's just being aware of your surroundings and knowing how to deal with those situations. I couldn't agree more. One of the biggest mistakes that I think people make, and I I feel like I first experienced this so strongly at the Grand Canyon, uh, is people think it's an amusement park and that they are indestructible and that they're they're not going to get hurt and 
you're not at an amusement park. You are in the wild. <laughs> Nature wins every time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I'm just like, I'm, I have all my information and I have these pictures pulled up and you were just there and I'm so, so jealous. It was. It was. It was truly incredible, and uh, you know, just uh, the people are are wonderful, um, and just the opportunities to get out and explore, you know, wherever whatever your comfort zone is, everywhere from easy trails or just to the the most difficult ones, like you were you were talking about on that Emerald Lake Loop, but you can access glaciers. You can get right out and walk on them. You can go on to rock climbing. You can, you know, if it's kayaking, whatever your thing is. We actually pulled into one little bay and uh, a couple had inflatable, uh, uh, what are those, stand-up paddle oh, boats paddle going. boats. Wow. Yeah, They're so they had those and they, yeah, and they were out floating around. Even though it was ice cold water, they had their wetsuits. They were all prepared. I was going to say, they better be wearing a wetsuit or else they're in for a rude awakening of hypothermia. <laughs> Well, the good thing is there, you know, in that part of the bay, uh, believe it or not, the, the, what makes it such a fertile place is that the warm current from the Pacific comes up. So the water is at 55 degrees where the air temperature is actually colder than that for much of the year. So it's uh, an, an interesting place. Tell you what, though, 55 degrees. Uh, You're still not going to last long. Yeah. <laughs> but you have 55 a 55 degrees in the water <laughs> is not 55 degrees in the air. Those are, no. Those will hit the body a little no. differently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing just a small piece of your trip. I think, I hope at least that others are just as inspired to go visit Alaska someday, just as uh, you have inspired me. I hope so, because, again, it's one of the places that you really do have to add to your bucket list. It's just, uh, again, awe-inspiring uh, from, the, from the mountains to, you know, the, the tallest mountain in North America in Denali to the most beautiful bays and ocean scenery that you'll ever see. Lovely. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. And... Mm. Uh, sorry, I just totally cut you off. You can say you can say you're welcome. No, no, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> my pleasure. You know, I, I love talking about uh, travel, and it's just a, an exciting thing to do and encourage all your listeners to get out and explore. You know, you and Joe are neck and neck for being my most frequent guest on the show, so you guys are going to have to start Ooh, some kind of competition. That's a pretty lofty bar for me to reach. I, uh, I think, Cousin Joe, I don't know if I can outdo that. I think you just passed him on a number of episodes. You guys are neck and neck. He's, you know, it's it's so funny because he and uh, you are both so well-read and you love the history of the parks, too, and you always bring such obscure facts and information that I, I love having you both on. So, no, that's great. And people love listening to you. The, the fan letters, they just come pouring in. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Keep those cards and letters coming. folks. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you. And thank you everyone for listening. Uh, As always, I really appreciate your support. And if you'd like to support this podcast beyond just listening, Feel free to give us a follow at Remarkable Parks Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, Thank you, and I hope you all have a fantastic rest of your day.